This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. How many love Jesus today? You love Him? You know what's great? When you can hear your sisters and brothers say that, that you're not alone, that you're in the journey together, and uh, very excited during this season that we have hope in the house of God, that this is a place where we gather together and we're reminded of the eternal truth of God. If you hold on to the temporary things too tightly, you'll go up and down with the emotions of the day and the age. But if you hold tightly to the eternal, God gives you hope in the middle of our stories. Amen? And uh, there's a lot of change going on. In fact, so much so that uh, it's not the new normal anymore. It's the now normal. Isn't that true? Where we have different kind of moments in our story where, you know, last week was we thought we were kind of in a new normal, but it changed this week. New announcements, new changes that are going on. And uh, parents are figuring out how to do education. Um, and uh, different school districts are handling uh, uh, education in different ways, and, and so you've got, you know, online, you've got hybrid, you've got in-classroom, and there's all kinds of changes going on around us. So it's kind of the now normals of the week, and as believers, I want to encourage you that we can find hope in Jesus and what's eternal, and uh, he'll help us with our now normals, amen? He'll give us the wisdom, and we can learn from each other, we can learn from what God has for us, but we don't need to worry about it, but there's a lot of good things that are coming back, and uh, we've been talking about the, in our series, The New Future, this is kind of a fall that we didn't imagine, an autumn that we didn't imagine, a time period that are kind of different than we've ever experienced before. But we're going into it, and we can find hope from the Old Testament, of course, that we'll draw from, that will help us on the journey. And we're all coming back into new, new things that kind of echoes of old things. And this week, I was so excited, Emmanuel Youth opened up live on all of our campuses, and it was awesome. All the teenagers got back together again and worshiped together. We need to pray for the next generation. They're, uh, they're, they're being told to be isolated and alone, and that generation needs to be together, and I'd rather them be together at church, amen, and uh, around the presence of God and the biblical values, and we have an amazing youth staff and youth leadership team, and Really proud of all of them. They're coming back, and it's amazing. But then we also, this week, our Hispanic ministry met for the first time in person again since the pandemic started. <laughs> Woo! It was fuego. It was on fire. And, uh, and so it's so excited to see what's going on in our, in our church. And, uh, of course, there's other things that are coming back. Emmanuel Leadership Academy is back. Just started again today. It's our first day back in. And... And then colleges all over the place are moving in and students are going into their next stage. And man, it's amazing to see all the new stories that are coming on. But as we've been moving and focusing on how to navigate change, we, I want to reaffirm that we can find peace and confidence in the middle of chaos. That our faith is rooted in the unseen and in the eternal. And uh, we've been looking at the Old Testament figures there are actually three different books in the Old Testament, but three people, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Haggai. And in our series, we've been looking about how the nation of Israel had been exiled out of their country, and now God was sending their leaders back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, and these different voices were speaking different things around the same period of time. 
Ezra was speaking about all of the, the religious practice of the day and how they needed to get back to worshiping Yahweh and, and worshiping God and following what the Old Testament had talked about. And, and so he was speaking about those things and then sharing the story of it from that lens. And then Nehemiah was rebuilding the city walls and he was speaking about uh, and working toward the rebuilding of the culture and the government and the actual kind of infrastructure and the of the sociology as well as the economy of the age, and he was putting it all back together again. And then, as we looked at Haggai last week, Haggai was focused on the hearts of the people and really getting back to the center, letting Yahweh be to the center of their, of their lives, and Yahweh be the center of their stories. And so Ezra, Haggai, and Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a practical leader that we're going to look back at again today. And he is one that we can all identify with. He's using his everyday skills to see a modern miracle. In fact, the walls of the city of Jerusalem, which had been burnt down and broke down, were rebuilt in 52 days. Imagine your street and road construction in Minnesota getting done in 52 days. That would be a miracle, wouldn't it? (laughs) Nehemiah, he somehow got it rebuilt. And uh, he got those walls rebuilt. And he shows an amazing example of, how, of the prayer life of a leader. And first, we looked at that in the first week of this series about how he took his request to the Lord, the concerns and the worries of his life. He took them to the Lord and his burden to the Lord, and God gave him vision. But then he also had to lead people through change. And how many know people don't like to change? And so he had to take them through a process of change and how to be a leader who jumps in with the team. And he was himself on the wall building and working on on this, this project. He wasn't just telling people what to do. He was involved in the whole story. But today, we're going to see how Nehemiah handled the haters. Anybody here ever had a hater in your life? He had haters. You know what? No matter who you are, you're going to face opposition, internal opposition from the group that's closest to you, sometimes it's in your family, sometimes it's in your group of friends. Maybe it's in social media universe of people that you're connected to, you follow, or your friends, or whatever it may be, internal opposition. But then everyone also has external opposition, forces and people that are against us and don't want us to succeed, and supernatural opposition. I don't know if you've ever felt a, a serious demonic attack or hell itself was coming against you, and there's such a thing as supernatural opposition. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says to the church, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. In other words, get over it. Don't just get mad that you're under attack. Recognize it's going to happen. Now, there is a way to work through the opposition, a way to work through the trial, but everybody's going through it. Turn to the person next to you and say, I know you're going through it. <laughs> Everyone's going through it. That's okay. And somehow, Nehemiah persevered and finished despite his opposition, his haters. And you can do the same. So today, New Future Part 4, How to Beat the Haters. How to Beat the Haters. Look with me at Nehemiah chapter 4. In Nehemiah chapter 4, there's a guy named Sambalat who is a leader in Jerusalem in the area that was threatened by this work that Nehemiah was going to do. It threatened his, his source of income, his position in society, and he was threatened by it, okay? Samballot was very angry when he learned that he, we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews and sang in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think 
that they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think that they can make something of story, stones from a, a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? And Tobiah, another guy, the Ammonite who was standing beside him remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. So we see here right away that Nehemiah's got some haters, right? And they're saying stuff, and uh, people who do not want him to succeed. Sanballat, Tobiah, many more that we're going to see in here who are not happy about the rebuild. And you will have people who, no fault of your own, choose to oppose what it is that you're doing. Voices that talk to you but don't have your best interest in mind. Some of them are historical voices. Things that people had said to you when you're younger and they kind of keep coming back. Some of them are current voices. Some of them you run across them accidentally. Sometimes they just get in your head and they, they want you to stop. There are voices that, that don't want you to succeed. And your opposition will use many different weapons. In the text here, we see the weapon of ridicule. You know, ridicule. Now, there are books out today on psychological warfare in the office place. How to psych out your competition. How to intimidate them. And using ridicule is a part of that. Why is ridicule so effective? Because it attacks our sense of self-worth. It says in, in verse 1 that Sambalot flew into a rage and mocked the Jews. He was mocking them. Now, I don't know if you've seen any mocking in the social media universe lately, but there's a lot of mocking going on. It could be in the form of a caption, this meme, but there is a lot of mocking, and that is meant to uh, attack our, our sense of self-worth. Ridicule does that, and people who ridicule you are usually just afraid, afraid that you'll succeed. Now, Sam Ballet also uses name-calling in his ridicule, those Poor, feeble Jews. He says, do they think they can build the wall in a single day, even though he never says that anywhere, that he'd do it in one day. He did it in 52, but not in one day. He's even kind of adding uh, not facts to facts. Yes, he's rebuilding, but do you think you can even do that? And I want you to know that, that ridicule is contagious. When Sam Ballot makes the initial ridicule, Tobiah, his friend, his sidekick, if you will, chimes in and starts. He retweets it with a comment. He shares it. He lets other people in on it. And negative people tend to gravitate together. Some people, their whole purpose in life seems to be against things. They don't know what they're really for, but they're against everything else. And Sam Ballot starts rumors amongst the people through his ridicule. Begins to whisper to the people of Jerusalem, the workers that are working on the wall with Nehemiah. And Sam Ballot starts rumors to stop the progress. He's gathered all the disgruntled parties to resist the rebuilding of the wall. And Sam Ballot and the Sumerians were in the north, and the Arabs were in the south, and Tobiah and the Ammonites were in the east, and the men of Ashdod were in the west, and the Jews were surrounded by these people who were conspiring against them. And the quickest way for you and I to spread a rumor is to feed on people's fears. Rumors are exaggerated and repeated based on fear. Does that sound like 2020 in America today? And the effect of the opposition amongst the people is this. It's discouragement. 
So all this that's going on is meant to discourage the people. In fact, it's working. Look at verse 10. It says, then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers were getting tired, and there's so much rubble to be moved, and we'll never be able to build a wall by ourselves. Can you hear the anxiety in that? And meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. You hear the voices. This is the response of fatigue. The workers are getting tired. Yeah, they're tired, but now the, the whispering is making them even more tired. The rumors are making them question, am I doing the right thing? Am I off track? Am I really where I need to be? Vince Lombardi, the great football coach, said this, fatigue makes cowards of all of us. Fatigue does that. Where's y'all? I've often said that the difference between hope and despair is eight hours of sleep. <laughs> Isn't that true? If you're really feeling overwhelmed, take a nap, baby. It'll help you out. It'll help you out. These, this opposition and the discouragement is also producing frustration. They say there's so much to be moved. They're overwhelmed by the task. And it's really a matter of perspective because at this point of the journey, they've already been working, but the pile is getting smaller. They're actually getting progress out of this, and if they'd step back and realize, I'm closer to the finish than I was before. But in the middle of it, it just feels like it's too much. And then failure kind of sets in, and maybe we're not gonna make it, and things aren't gonna work out. And he says, we will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. And when you're tired, everything looks impossible. And then fear kind of gets added onto that. The fear swoops in in verse 11. He says, meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. And I want you to see that in the middle of the fear and all of this, Nehemiah still has to lead. And what does Nehemiah do? You can see it in the rest of chapter 4 and in chapter 5. But Nehemiah takes, just as he did before, as we talked about how to turn bad news into good news. He, what did he do? He took that, that fear the worry, the discouragement, the failure that was going on around him and hearing it, and he took the lies and the rumors and the ridicule, and he took it to the Lord in prayer. Did you know that all the hater stuff that you got coming at you, you don't have to keep it inside you, baby. You can, you can open up and bring it to the Lord. You can talk to him. Lord, did you know what they're saying about me? If you fight that way, the Lord wins the battle for you. If you keep it inside or make up your own ridicule plan and throw it back at the enemy, now all of a sudden you're fighting yourself and you're going to get more fatigued. Don't fight fire with fire. Fight fire with prayer. Come on, somebody. I made that up just now. It felt good. It felt good. Nehemiah prayed, but he also fortified his weak areas. So if they're announcing that they're going to come after us and try to stop us, what does he do? He, in verse 13, he says, I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords and spears and bows. In other words, I'm going to protect this. If you're going to let me know you're coming at me, then I'm going to protect myself. And I think as a practical measure, if you know that you have weak areas of your story where the enemy wants to come at you, you may need to sure up those areas. If you're weak and you've got a history of dealing with pornography, then you need to put some accountability in your mix. 
Maybe get rid of the computer. Or maybe you need to get some accountability software. Or make sure that you're not looking at stuff late at night. And any time I talk about pornography and I go at it like this, it gets really silent in the room. But I just tell you, because I'm not going to get an amen on that. You got the responsibility to, to take care of the weak areas of your life. If you're a person that deals with gossip, then maybe you need to stop listening to gossip. You know, so shut it off on one end, you'll shut it off on the other end. Maybe, maybe there's some practical things that you can do to shore up those weak areas of your story. I did get an amen there. I was pretty good. And in chapter 6, Nehemiah succeeds. So now we're going to two chapters later, but in those 52 days, now all of a sudden the walls are being rebuilt, things are happening, and the gaps have been filled. And all that was left was putting the doors on the gates. And Sambella and his friends, all they got to do is they got to come back around again as haters. I mean, you know, the haters come back. They, they, they just keep coming back. They come back like mosquitoes do every year in Minnesota. They just keep coming back. In Nehemiah chapter 6, look at what, what those haters do. Samballot, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies. How I many know oh, there's a bunch of them? They found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained. And though we had not yet set the doors up in the gates. So Samballot and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But, everybody said but. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? This is a powerful moment because the opposition comes, the haters come, they're baiting him, and he responds with, why should I do that? And I want to tell you out of this text, three ways to beat the opposition. Three ways to beat the haters, if you will. The first one is this. Wake up and remember your purpose. Wake up and remember your purpose. If you forget what you're fighting for, you're in danger. And purpose is the most important enduring value that Christians can have. You were bought with a price for a purpose. In other words, you're not just saved to be saved. You're saved to be on purpose for God. And you have value. Say that with me. You have value. Turn to the person next to you, look at him and go, you have value. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. In other words, he saved us, but he's building purpose into our future, into our story. Not for our self-preservation uh, or selfish game. No, for a mission. You are on a mission. God has given purpose, a mission to your story. And when it comes to your life, I want you to remember this. That when you get confused and worried and, and, and you're looking at the world that's around you and the attackers are coming in, and if you give in to that, you're forgetting that they're stopping your mission. And the first thing that you got to do is remember, no, I am a child of God. I was bought with a price. 
I am valuable. I was adopted into the kingdom of God. Yes, I sinned. We all have sinned. So devil, when you come at me and you point out my sins, I want you to know it's true. But what I did with my sin is I brought it to a savior and my savior set me free. He gave me grace for for when I fall. And when I'm weak, he is strong. So I'm not worried about my future because I know I have a purpose. And even when I fall down, he says, I'm his workmanship. He's going to work on me. Take out your chisel today, Lord, and go to work. And when you go to work on me, Lord, I know you're making me better. So even when I fall down, it's not over. God is making something new in my future story. I don't need to forget I have a purpose. Come on, somebody. I have a purpose. Sam Ballot wanted him to leave his purpose. Leave it. And you got to wake up and remember, no, 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 no. I can't do that. And we can't do that as a church. Church isn't just here for us. Church is here for the city around us. It's the only organization that exists for non-members. And in moments like a pandemic, when stories are flying in the middle of an election season, we can get caught up pointing fingers at the world and forget we're not to leave our mission. We are here for the lost, the least, and the hurting, for the people in our city that yet to to respond to the good news of Jesus. We need to give it away. I can't leave my purpose to get involved in a different conversation. Nehemiah says it this way. He said, so I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? The second thing that we can do to beat the haters or the opposition is recognize that your enemy has a strategy. Your enemy has a strategy. Now, um, I don't know how many, how, how many of you have ever been pickpocketed? Somebody's robbed you or something. Anybody here? Pickpocketing is a form of larceny that inv- involves the stealing of money and other valuables from a person's pocket without them noticing the theft at the time. And it requires a knack for misdirection. Just as in a magic show, the major method at work here is distraction. Human beings usually focus their attention on only one thing. So if you give them anything interesting to focus on, they won't pay attention to their money and their valuables. This is the same uh, as true in theatrical magic. Misdirection is a form of deception in which the performer draws audience attention to one thing to distract from another. Misdirection is the central secret. It leads the audience to look away for a fleeting moment so that they don't detect some slight or move. In other words, they pick the pocket by getting the victim distracted. Sam Ballard's goal wasn't to have a conversation with Nehemiah. It was to steal Nehemiah's mission on the wall. If he could get Nehemiah distracted, he would stall the mission. And the enemies of our soul want us to be distracted. What, what did Jesus say of the enemy? He says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And how does he do that? By getting us distracted. What is your dream or your vision that you're working toward? What's the passion of your life? 
Are you thinking about raising kids and wanting them to make it the distance? Are you chasing a career that you think God wants you to use to benefit the world around you? Are you trying to keep your marriage together? What is it that you're trying to pursue? I guarantee you that when it comes to what you're pursuing, the strategy for the enemy to steal from you won't be direct. In fact, the strategy is to misdirect you, to get you focused on something else while he slips in the back door. And the bait doesn't have to look evil. It just needs to be something where you get caught up in the latest fad or the latest phase or get consumed by something. The bait doesn't have to look evil, and that's the point. Deception is the act of causing someone to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid. In other words, you don't even know it, and you're being deceived. I want you to think forward with me to Matthew 24, when Jesus is asked by his disciples about the end times. How many of you have wondered this year if this is the end times? And I want, you to, I want you to look at Matthew 24 with me and to see what Jesus talked about, what the time would be like and what we should watch out for. In Matthew 24, he says this, there, later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? And Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. Who's he talking to right now? Talking to his disciples. He's not talking about the world out there that's getting fooled. He's talking about the church, if you will. Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will what? deceive many. Now, verse 9 says this, then you will be arrested and persecuted and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. I thought that was interesting. They hate each other. Hatred in the church from one church to another church. And many false prophets will appear and many will deceive and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Now, we're not at the end yet, but there are aspects of the end times that are happening right now. And I'm not as concerned about the symbols of what will signal the end as much as I am Jesus' words. Jesus' words were about the end. People are going to be deceived. And he says, don't let anyone mislead you. There will be some who will deceive the church. They will mislead. And how will they do it? They'll pickpocket you. They'll get your attention over here while he takes the other stuff over here. He'll get you to look in the wrong directions. And in this day, I'm seeing so many self-proclaimed prophets, conspiracy theories, and general fear that we must recognize the way the enemy pickpockets the church. If all your attention is on a conspiracy, the enemy can get your eyes off the mission. So let me just say it this way. I'm a pastor. One of the definitions of pastor is shepherd actually comes from that word. A shepherd watches over a flock of sheep, has a responsibility to protect the sheep, notices when wolves come in, beats the wolves off, 
things that are not, not, are not good for the sheep and steps in. As a pastor, I will say, I notice nowadays in 2020 that there is an attack against the sheep in my church, in other churches, that's trying to get believers off their game, their mission. And it's through spiritual sounding conspiracies and myths and fables. And it's by trying to point out what's happening somewhere else and how somebody behind the government is doing this and somebody over here is doing that. And those things may or may not be true. All I know is if all of your attention goes there and leaves the fact that you're supposed to notice that your next door neighbor's going through a difficult time and you're called to pray for them, but you're so consumed by a conspiracy, you're off mission and you have been pickpocketed. Are you hearing what I'm saying, church? We have to stay focused on the things that God has called us to do. If you find yourself not even caring about being gathered together with other believers to worship and to pray and to read the word and to be on mission together because you've been so kind of fulfilled with other things throughout a week and you're getting off track, I'm looking at the fruit. What's it doing in your heart? Are you becoming more passionate about the lost? Do you care about people who are away from Jesus? Are you more concerned about yourself? Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, he said this, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires... They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Our own selfish desires can cause us to listen to the voices that lead us astray. It's our own desires. We want to believe in the narratives of the day and the enemy offers it. But if we look at our heart and we look at our time and we look at our speech, what we're being consumed with, is it the kingdom of God or the latest fight that's out there? And I'm telling you this now as we head towards the election in November, it's only going to get worse. There's going to be more sand ballots calling out for your attention. More haters to get you off the wall. And if your eyes leave the mission, you may be in the process of the enemy pickpocketing you. We got to know who we're fighting, and the enemy has a strategy. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There's a battle taking place, and it's not about the people out there. It's in the heavenlies. And we know how to fight. We don't fight with carnal weapons, the scripture says. But the weapons that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Can I get an amen to that? The third thing is this, and I'm done. How to beat the opposition or the haters. Don't take the bait. Fight using the truth. Don't take the bait. Fight using the truth. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3, again. So I replied... By sending this message to them, I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? For Nehemiah, dabbling in a conversation with the enemy equal leaving the work. 
Nehemiah stuck to his purpose because his job description came from God, not his enemy. And in verses 4 and 5, they kept coming back at him. It said they asked him four or five times to come down and have a conversation. And you and I are going to get all kinds of opportunities to get baited into conversations we should not get baited into. To click this link. And there's things out there called clickbait. Anybody ever heard of clickbait? How many know they know how to put the bait out there for you to click it? But when we hit those moments, we, we need to hear what Jesus did when the enemy tried to tempt him after Jesus had fasted and prayed out in the wilderness and the enemy brought things before him. Every time the enemy said something to him, Jesus said, it is written. In other words, stand on the word of God, what we know to be true. Stand on the truth, for God created the world, sin destroyed the world, Jesus gave the world a new future, and we are gifted with His grace. And when you put on the armor of God, the very first piece of armor that is listed in Ephesians chapter 6 says, stand your ground putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. When you begin to feel confusion, listen, you know the confusion is not God, for God is not the author of confusion. You need to remember, if I'm feeling confusion, I need to get back to the Word. I need to get back to Jesus, who is the living Word. I need to get back to worshiping Him to get my eyes focused on the mission He's called me to be in. I need to know the truth. And if I know the truth, the truth will set me free. The truth is my hope. If I stay focused on the truth, I don't have time to be distracted. So do you want to beat your haters? Then finish the race, baby. Stay focused in on the truth and don't be detoured. Can I get an amen to that? Would you stand with me today, church? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just close your eyes right where you're at. It's quite possible that there are people, while I've been preaching or we've been in the service, either you've been in listening to me online or in person or wherever you are, that God is speaking to you and saying it's time to come home, it's time to leave the lies. Perhaps you've been pickpocketed already and you recognize it and you need to come back to Jesus. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ and today is the day for you to surrender to Him. And if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer that right now you can know the truth and the truth will set you free. But you gotta, you gotta, can't push it off another day. You gotta come to him right now. And if that's you, I wanna, I wanna lead you in a prayer. If you need to give your life to Jesus, I want you to do it right now. If you need to come back to him, I want you to do it right now. And I wanna just pray this prayer out loud after me and everybody else you join right in. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to the earth. You died on the cross for my sin. And that you rose from the dead you're alive and today I surrender to you please forgive me of my sin and make me new and help me to follow you for the rest of my life in Jesus name amen 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 somebody give the Lord some praise in the house amen 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 if you prayed that prayer then I, I have a great interest in you staying strong, baby, finishing the race like Nehemiah. And uh, you got to take some steps to walk away from, from
from deception and to stay on the road of truth. And I want to help you with that. And uh, I want to send you a link, real quick link, on some resources to follow Jesus. If you'll text the word Emmanuel to 313131, you can do it right now. Um, or you can message us, direct message us on, on uh, Facebook or however you're joining us, however, wherever you're at. But text Emmanuel to 313131, and we'll send you that link right now. And I want you to stay in the journey. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. To learn more about the ministries Emmanuel offers, check out emmanuelcc.org. That's emmanuelcc.org. There, you will also find past messages from our Sunday services for you to view. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast so they may enjoy next week at this same time.